I'm Lake Miller. And I'm Hannah Brown. Welcome to Gem City Diversity, a podcast where we talk about diversity and inclusion in the Dayton area. We're from the National Conference for Community and Justice of Greater Dayton, or NCCJ. NCCJ works in the Miami Valley to increase understanding around the topics of diversity, equity, and inclusion. In this episode, I got the chance to talk with Jane Fernandez about the President's Alliance on Higher Education and Immigration. We discussed what the Alliance is and the work that they do, along with her experiences working with the Alliance. Enjoy. Thank you, Jane, for being here today. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation and to learn more about the President's Alliance on Higher Education and Immigration. I wanted to start this episode by saying that Jennifer is here, Jennifer Johnson is here interpreting um, for the duration of this episode. But Jane, I'm wondering if you can start out and introduce yourself, say who you are, and then we'll kind of get started. Yes, my name's Jane Fernandez and my sign name's Drake. My pronouns are she, they, and I'm currently the president of Antioch College in Yellow Springs, Ohio. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. So I'm hoping that first we can kind of jump on in to this conversation and that you can say what the President's Alliance on Higher Education and Immigration is. Uh, The President's Alliance on Higher Education and Immigration is a group of about more than 500 college presidents, chancellors, who um, understand how important immigration laws are to higher education in the United States. And we work together on various bills, positions, and issues related to dreamers, DACA students, undocumented students, international students, and any policies that would impact the ability of those students to receive education here in the United States. Wonderful, thank you. Um, Next, I'm wondering kind of why and how did the Alliance begin? Maybe if I remember, maybe 2016, 2015 or 16, there was a growing concern about DACA students and their ability to remain in the U.S. and complete their education, for one thing, but then also to have a path toward citizenship. So many um, campuses have good, large cohorts of DACA and undocumented TPS holders and other, other, other people in that category who would be excellent citizens who actually mostly grow up here 
they are better citizens than our own citizens, really. They're better students, they're more motivated. They're better grades, they graduate at higher rates than our own people. Uh, many present were concerned that um, such a path to citizenship should be found for them. So we got together, primarily got together over that issue. And we did a lot of work that year, lobbying in Congress and in our own states for um, that right of DACA, undocumented people to have a path. And we wanted to find a bipartisan pathway to citizenship. Then, um, as it turns out, we're still working on that. We worked through President Trump's administration with a lot of defensive moves just to stay where we were, stay in one place. And now with the Biden administration, we're, we're still working hard, but there may be a small chance that it could happen with one of the new bills as an added on reconciliation of budget bill. We also added later, we added general concern about international students, especially during President Trump's administration, because it appeared that he was deliberately creating policies to ban international students from coming as students or to ban them from staying on for experiential learning opportunities after they graduated. And we, as, pre as President's Alliance, we, we opposed that we oppose that altogether <laughs> um, because we know that DACA students, undocumented students, TPS holders and international students provide wealth of knowledge about the world that our American students would never have unless um, they were on, on one camp, sharing one campus together. Almost at that time, um, where I worked at Guilford College in Greensboro, North Carolina, we didn't have to send students abroad because the world was right there on, on our campus. Students from everywhere were there. And that's what the kind of environment where the students will learn the best and the most uh, productive information for creating a better democracy. And so basically, we're just a group of presidents working hard to make sure that immigration policies favor higher education in the United States. Awesome. It's so important to have all of these different perspectives here, especially college campuses, where you want to learn from all different people and you want to hear all these different stories and having international students on campus is so important and it's so productive and it makes for better graduates, both international and students from the US. So I think it's a really, it's a really awesome way of keeping those students here and helping them stay here if that's what they wanna do. So I'm wondering next, you mentioned a little bit about the work that the Alliance does. But I'm wondering if you personally have been one of those people on the ground kind of doing the lobbying and talking to the different decision makers. And if you have any kind of stories about that. 
Well, I can tell one story, yes. We have, um, it was related to DACA student, kind of an amazing story. I was just getting involved, I think, in the Alliance. And I got messages saying, now's the time, if you have DACA students who want to tell their story, they will bring them to the US Capitol in a group. And a group was paying for the DACA students to fly and get a hotel in DC. So I just happened to page one of the students I knew, but many back then DACA students were reticent to share a lot because um, they could be at risk of losing their DACA. But this one uh, young man named Hector Rivera Suarez, he was willing, said yes, right, right away, he said, yes, I'm going. So I said, okay, contact these people. And then I didn't do anything else. I knew he was going to be part of the lobby at the Capitol. I went to a training in Greensboro, leadership training, and during lunch, I just happened to look up at the TV on the wall, CNN. I saw Hector <laughs> in front of the Capitol <laughs> with, um, I think it was Senator or Representative Stanley Hoyer from Maryland and other um, representatives and senators from the Capitol there. And Hector was making a speech about his story, how he came from Mexico as a young boy he thought, was with his mother and others and his family thought they were just coming to visit his father. He hadn't seen his father for a long time. He was excited, he was going to visit. He didn't know that they were going to live there. But he found out after he was there for a while, he understood that they really had left their home to come and be with his father. Anyway, so Hector told a story about how his status is going to expire. And at that time, it looked like maybe no renewals would be allowed. So if he's fired, then he could be deported at any time for any reason or no reason. So we uh, were hoping that Congress would see the value of getting his status in place. But he came back and then things kept going, nothing changed. And then I went with him, I went again. So together we were able to uh, talk with most of the senators and reps from North Carolina in our district. And they were very uh, attentive. They, list they listened and offered to help. But nobody said, well, I'm going to call and stop this from happening. Um, they just kind of reassured him that no one would do that. No one's going to stop you and say you're deported because you lost your status. Don't worry about that. But <laughs> of course he did worry about it because if he got stopped, he would be deported. I mean, you know, I don't know. It was a little bit um, troubling that um, most of the legislators were actually uh, were white men of privilege. And only they could say, you don't have to worry about that. You're not going to get deported. But they didn't really understand what it means to live in a DACA status that is expired. 
and threats to yourself and your family that you get all the time. They didn't really understand. So that's one kind of, yes, we had a lot of lobbying. I think everyone learned something, but I don't know if they really learned what they needed to know to you know, make the right decisions. Wow, that's... Yeah. Anyway, I should add, can I, I add the results, I'm to add the end of it, is that um, actually, okay, we called different representatives and senators. Then we called one outside of our district named Mark Walker. Mark Walker eventually became the chief of staff for President Trump, I think something like that, but Mark Walker, we called him. He was known for helping DACA students. And sure enough, after we called him, a few days later, Hector went on the um, USCIS webpage and saw that his DACA status was approved. <laughs> or it was rene renewed. So he did get the renewal, but it was all about, it was a strange process. Nobody really acknowledged the human rights issue that was being violated. They just tried to use strings to get what we were asking and the bare minimum. Yeah, it's, I'm glad he, it got renewed. I'm glad that that worked out for him, but it's definitely, there's so much, there's so much else going on with all these students who could possibly, you know, any day be losing so much of like what is helping them right now and losing those, uh, that access to this education that they came here and want to get. So it's a very, it's a noble cause, I think, really helping these students who deserve our health and deserve to be treated with humanity and treated just with, uh, what's the word? Respect, just general respect. So, yeah, so thank you. I also want to just give you the chance to be able to share more if you have more to share. I'm sure you have lots to share about this. Um, and I'd love to be able to educate people I think on one, this. One important story to tell uh, relates to international students where, well, Guilford College had a good number of international students, not huge but uh, they are very important to the school. And, um, you know, some of them came from countries like Afghanistan or Pakistan, where women are not encouraged to get education. They made a decision to kind of revolt a little, a little rebellion as women. And they came to Guilford to learn. And one of them I'm remembering learned I got, I got a degree in technology, which he never could have done at home. Or another student from India would have worked in his father's farm in India. That's what he would have done. Nothing else would be an option there. But he decided to take a stand. He came to Guilford and he majored in uh, world history. 
and then he was able through um, our immigration policy that was in place at the time, he could stay for two years and get work experience. So he got a job in a local public school teaching American history. And then um, in two years, he was voted the best teacher in that school district. Um, those are the kinds of students we have not, they're not going to change the world, but they're really authentic people who make a difference in communities. So the, uh, the policies of President Trump seemed arbitrary. He, I don't know, they just started proposing things. Uh, but one was that um, if you fell out of status for any reason related to your visa, you would be subject to three, three or 10 year ban from coming back into the country. So for example, any little thing, suppose we, the school secretary, accidentally had a typo, accidentally typed the wrong number for your passport number information or um, accidentally or forgot you changed your address and you forgot to tell us. And then the government found out the address on your, you gave them is not right. In, our, in a fair world, which we had for a long time, uh, students could, um, they would probably be caught, but they would be asked for more information. The students could explain and then the US government would say, okay, and everything would be fine. If it was just a mistake, it was okay. But under the new policy, no discussion. They find a mistake there, they're banned. If they're already home, when they go to the airport, there's no notice, but they're already home, they would go to the airport. At the airport, they were told they're banned for three years or 10 years if it's serious. If they're in this country, when they found out they're out of status, they would be sent home for three years or 10 years. So uh, this is obviously not tolerable at all. But uh, the students were about to be getting banned. I think some students were banned. So it just happened by chance, really, an accident of chance that um, the President's Alliance had some attorneys working on that problem. And um, I was in a group, we were talking about that, and they asked me if Guilford College would file the lawsuit against the US government for a policy that was not properly um, developed and approved. So I said, yes. Okay, so Guilford was the lead plaintiff in the federal lawsuit about international students. And, um, well, our lawyer was fantastic, <laughs> named Paul Hughes. He came to North Carolina, went to the North Carolina Middle District Court. And in that court, um, with a US government attorney and our attorney, they argued in front of a judge that the, the law was 
um, it was not legal, it was wrong. And the judge eventually agreed that um, President Trump's law that he put in place without any procedures, didn't follow the Administrative Procedures Act, was um, unethical. So she gave us a na temporary nationwide ban implementing the pulse. So I was so happy, thrilled, amazing, because Guilford College is very small. Who would pay attention to Guilford? What we did, that was amazing. Then uh, we, the government had a chance to appeal. So they did appeal. And the judge said, um, the ban is it's permanent. So she overruled them and made the whole, whole um, ban on the proposal permanent. It was struck down. But there was an opportunity to appeal to the circuit court. And so we were waiting a long time, I think maybe two years to see what would happen next. But the ban, you know, the, the ban was permanent, was in place. So no one got deported or sent away. It was July 31st, 20, 2020, I think July 31st, 2020. About 10 p.m., the lawyer emailed me to say that the U.S. government dropped their appeal. And so they lost. They gave in, they acknowledged they lost. And we, Guilford College, won the case. So that was really an amazing victory because I think maybe they were afraid to lose to such a small school, too, you know. So at the same time, there was a huge darker decision in Boston that Harvard and MIT got together and went to a federal court in Boston. Huge decision with big press, media, celebrations, balloons, lots of noise because they won a case. But at the same time, Guilford won a case that was basically silence because it was won by the government giving up. And so that seemed like MIT and um, Harvard were like a blockbuster movie. And Guilford College was like an indie movie. But we still had a huge impact on allowing international students from anywhere the right to come to school here and the right to stay and have experience and learning after that. So I think that was a great achievement. I'm proud of that. Yeah, that's amazing. That's, it's so cool that you were part of this huge thing happening that helped so many people. And this is something you said a little bit earlier about how some of the students here, they're not gonna change the world, but they deserve to be here and they deserve to have that impact on their communities, on the student who became the best teacher in that school, you know, they made an impact to some people, maybe not everyone in the country, but they made an impact. And that's what's important that they have this chance to make even these small impacts because 
even if they change the life of one person, that's still a huge impact that that's there. So, yeah. Well, the student himself had an impact because he wasn't limited to being a farmer with his father's business. He had more options. And then he made a big impact on a small class of students in American history. So where I work now at Antioch College, Antioch was founded by Horace Mann. And one thing Horace Mann said was that we ought to be ashamed to die before we've made a victory for, we won a victory for humanity. So since I've been here, um, I'm not sure if I understand exactly what it means to win a victory for humanity, but I understand what it means to have a small victory for humanity. <laughs> so I do more small victories like that for humanity. They're more quiet or understated, but they still have a profound impact on the quality of people's lives. Yeah, even the, the smallest victory can be a huge impact for humanity. So. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, for sharing about this President's Alliance. It was fascinating to hear about it. I'd never heard about it before, which is surprising since you've made these huge, huge wins and victories for humanity and these giant impacts on higher education. Yeah. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Take care.